Hi, this is Nick from the band called Nothing, and you are listening to Extended Play. Sick. How's that? Perfect. Alright. Hello and welcome. My name's Matt Parker. I'm a music journalist based in Manchester in the UK and you are listening to my podcast Extended Play. How are you doing today? I hope everyone's well out there in the world. I'm pleased to say we've got one of our best talks yet for you with Nikki from Nothing. Um, This is a real special one so... Uh, yeah, definitely hang around for that. If you want to subscribe to the podcast or find links to various social networks, etc., you can do all that on extendedplaypodcast.com. If you have anything to say about any of the episodes, you want to get in touch or just say hello, you can absolutely do that. You can reach me on matt at extendedplaypodcast.com and I'll be really happy to hear from you. So yeah, get in touch. Okay, so today's guest is Dominic, a.k.a. Nicky Palermo from Philadelphia band Nothing. They make a sort of shoegaze punk that's heavily influenced by a lot of 90s British bands, uh, but fortunately isn't really trying too hard to reproduce that. So it's allowed them to cross a lot of borders and they've gotten a lot of love from the likes of Rolling Stone, Kerrang, Pitchfork, Noisy, NPR. Basically anyone that is interested in any form of music with guitars in seems to be liking this band at the moment. Uh, Their most recent album is Tired of Tomorrow, which came out in May and is undoubtedly one of my favourites of the year. Here's a taster of that album now. This is a track called ACD. was ACD which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder from the new album Tired of Tomorrow. Nikki and I think most of this band grew up in some of the rougher neighborhoods in Philadelphia so he's had a pretty shit run of luck to be honest in his past and has spent some time in prison, had a crazy childhood and uh, at the risk of being too cute about it always really making some pretty inspirational music now whether it's as a result of that or not I don't know I just know he's a talented individual the band are really great Um, At this point, I should say that this podcast doesn't really shy away from any of the above, so this is definitely not a family listen. I repeat, this is not a listen for the pure of heart and mind, and there will be explicit language, there will be stories about drugs, drink, violence, and unsightly bodily function that you probably don't want your kids to hear, ever. So, Nicky's got his shit to deal with, but he's nonetheless one of the least guarded and sort of most open, true-hearted individuals I've had the pleasure of speaking to for this podcast, so... I really hope you enjoy this talk. I really, really uh, did enjoy speaking to Nikki. So this is EP 21 with Nikki from Nothing. Okay, so I'm sat uh, backstage at the Deaf Institute and it's 
incredibly fucking hot. I don't know what's happened, but it's mid-September and summer has happened all at once on this day. Um, that's right, because I'm joined by a shirtless Nikki from nothing. Welcome, Nikki. What up? What up? Hi. How you doing? I'm hot and I'm tired and hungover and uh, dealing with fits of desperation and anxiety. Uh, I really hope it subsides soon. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm hot. Um, I'm not feeling desperation or anxiety right now, but there's still time. Good for you, man. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this actually isn't the first time we spoke. I did a piece for uh, Total Guitar Magazine. I don't know if you would have seen it. Oh, but yeah, like yeah. A, a I didn't know mag. that. Oh, cool. So I did that phoner with you uh, a while back, and I just thought it would be good to sit down for this thing because I just couldn't fit in everything I wanted to from that yeah. on that piece. Um, I remember that interview. Um, so, I mean, let's... Let's do the podcast thing and start at the beginning. Where where did you grow up? What was your home? Philadelphia has been the home. Uh, I was born and born and raised in Kensington, Frankfurt area in Philadelphia. Uh, kind of a shit neighborhood, uh, but you know, I I only left twice and. Once was for LA and three times. Once for LA, twice for prison, and then the third time was where I live now in New York, so. Right. I didn't realize you'd moved to New York. Yeah, I've been there for about a year and a half now. I thought you couldn't live, leave Philadelphia because, you know, you always wound up back there. Was your, your That was the thing, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Philadelphia tends to get its uh, fingers into you. Um, and you know, a lot, a lot of people make it out of there. Uh, it has a way of kind of bringing you back. I might end up there eventually. I, I hope not. I, I, I've spent way too much time being stuck there, and uh, I don't necessarily like New York either. <clears throat> but I don't leave the house very often, so uh, you know. It's an expensive place to choose not to leave the house very often. I know. It's funny. It's I spent my whole life like. You know, wanting to be in the city and having like, you know, good time running around, and now I'm like finally there, and I don't want to be outside anymore. So, it's ironic. <laughs> um, so I took the liberty of doing a bit of research on Kensington, Philadelphia. Oh, you did. Um, it's pretty similar to a lot of the neighborhoods here. You know, yeah. poor, poor white people, poor, poor white, poor Puerto Rican, poor black. Uh, you know. Uh, Literally the top result on Google. Heroin. Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, Yeah, it was an article from the Daily Beast uh, with the headline, Philly's cop-free heroin zone. Yep. Just, was that fair? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, not much has changed in uh, the neighborhood. Uh, in the 90s, when I was you know, starting to run around like a wild kid and stuff. Uh, you know, it was really bad in the 90s. It was heroin capital of the country right. in the 90s. I mean, if you if you Google Kensington in the 90s, it's it's all it talks about. There's like documentaries on it and stuff. And um, 
it put a lot of people away. Uh, family members I've had, you know, friends, families. Like we we watched so many people go down that 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 you know that road, and and not many of them made it out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we th- it was there was so much money um, being made in Philadelphia off heroin in that time that. I mean, the, you were there. People were getting the purest form of heroin there, so it was literally just there was just ODs constantly. Like it was like so common. Like it, it's a strange thing to be that young and be so versed in death that that early at an early age, you know. Yeah. And and that verse of being like you know, there's not really ways you can sugarcoat that or hide it from from you being a kid because you're seeing it. We're we're hanging out on the railroad tracks and. You know, we're we're throwing bottles and rocks at like you know tweakers like shooting up like down down off the bridge and stuff. You know, we're yeah. 11 years old throwing bottles down at the <laughs> shit. You know, getting chased by them and you know. So I mean, how does uh, how does like your mum, for instance, navigate that with like? I know I don't know how many brothers or sisters you got. I know there's a brother involved because we've previously spoken about him. His mm-hmm. guitar being the entry point, but uh, how how did your mum sort of handle that <coughs> around your you know raising her kids in in that sort of scenario? Well, it was a, it was tough for her for sure. Um, you know, I had a brother like I said, he's eleven years older than me, and my sister is about s- is seven years older than me. So um, by the time they were, my brother was in his early twenties. My sister was sixteen. She got pregnant at a pretty early age too. Um, so you know my dad was gone uh pretty early on uh so she kind of was trying to keep the house uh ours you know it was every other every every month we were like there was like a warnings of a sheriff sale which is basically when they when you can't pay your mortgage they basically come in and they take your house from you and sell it for really cheap right to pay your pay your mortgage off or you lose your house no matter how much money you put in or whatever so, you know, it was a lot of watching her struggle, um, working multiple jobs, uh, trying to keep, you know, keep the house there, food on the table, but also dealing with three fucking badass kids that, you know, are all running around just being wild, wild people. So, um, and you, are you aware of like, were you like aware of that situation being like really difficult no, at the time? I mean, it, you know, it. You do, but I, I, was a, I, was a, I was a pretty stupid kid, and... Uh, Everyone was. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't make anything easier on her, for sure. Um, and I, I still torture her. I mean, she sees me doing this shit on the road still, you know, ended up in hospitals. Like, I'm in a hospital last night. Like, fucking, she's constantly, I'm still just like you know torturing her but i mean you know uh i i was aware that of what was going on you know i would come yeah. home and she would be crying in the house you know because she was worried if we were going to lose the house or you know if we couldn't get food on the table you know yeah. and yeah we've we, we had gone the route where we had to like ask people for, like, for money and stuff so you know there was a struggle for sure um around that time uh, what did you, what do you do for fun? Because you know you're a kid, you find fun, don't you? Like even uh, in I mean, like shit situations. You, you've like, seen what I say. Like we, I was bad. You know, we were like running around in, in um, 
running around in um, abandoned houses, abandoned factories, you know, always messing with the tweaks, the junkies. Yeah. Uh, that was always a thing. The hookers down on the on the, the the L. You know, that whole neighborhood is based around the L train in Philly. So we would, you know, climb up on the roofs, you know, uh, like under the L and walk out, dump flour on the hookers and throw eggs. I mean, you know, just like the same shit everyone's doing, like just, just living, just, just like beating around your environment. It just, it happens yeah. to be that that environment was so dark at that point that like, you know, dark follows dark. So it's like, okay, you're living in a neighborhood where there's hookers and drug addicts everywhere, then the stuff that you're going to be doing isn't, is going to kind of reflect from that. So, I mean, you know, you play with your environment, I guess. And what, what memories do you have from uh, that sort of from your childhood or like growing up as a teenager or whatever that are like, bring you a lot of like happiness? Um, for, I mean, uh, the friends, uh, I've always had a very tight, tightly knitted group of friends. Uh, I think that that's probably just from growing up, you know, in the neighborhood and being stuck with them, uh, you know, your whole life. Uh, it's definitely a, one of the good things about growing up in like that kind of setting. You know, you, you, you wind up keeping a lot of the friends, but also the same token, you you lose a lot of friends and you lose friends to, to, the, to the environment as well, which, which is something that I'm, again, you know, well-versed in. Uh, and that started at an early age, you know. Um, but, I mean, you know, th thinking back and memories of friends and that, I, that aren't around now, and that's always something that kept me happy, kept me moving. You got any uh, particular story or, like, um, anecdote, anything that you remember that was like particularly joyful because I mean so much of your interviews and so much of your life story oh, yeah. has had some pretty sad shit in it so yeah yeah, I mean, yeah for sure I mean I think people just like dwell on it you mm. know it's not like that for me I mean you see me I'm just like a bit calloused from 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 life but you know I take it all in stride for the most part um but yeah, I mean, there's there's always been great things uh, that that kept kept me laughing and stuff. Um, I always think about this this one one moment when I I was in first grade and uh, there was there. It's really not that funny, actually. It's pretty. It's quite sad. Uh, <laughs> I guess if it is funny, I guess because how sad it. Basically, in my neighborhood, there was also an epidemic of stray dogs everywhere. Right. So, like, when I would walk to school in the morning, it was just, like, you would like, you'd get chased by, like, wild dogs. Like, I used to have to, like, there was, like, memos in school about, like, climbing on top of cars when, it, when, when it, if you've seen a dog. And it was, you know. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> first grade, I was walking home from school, and... Uh, I had to take a shit so bad, man. And I just like, I remember trying to hold it in like my whole walk home and I just couldn't. And I just pissed and shit in my pants, like walking home from school. And I just had an under full, full, underwear full of shit. And I was just like, oh my God, like my mom's gonna fucking kill me. Like she's like, she's gonna, you know, 
it's first grade is kind of late to be shit in your pants i think <laughs> i don't know i got friends that still manage it yeah i mean i might have a piss in the bed every once in a while if i'm a little fucked up but you know i, I had a shit <laughs> I, I i had a shit in my pants and then what do you well well uh, of course uh i turned a corner and there's a, a a fucking stray dog and i'm just like oh man so this dog starts like walking towards me and i'm terrified so I, I even though I have underwear full of sh little tidy whities full of shit, I fucking had to to run home and like climb on a car, and then like the the dog is like like barking <laughs> around the car, and I'm climbing up there with my school bag, and you know neighbors are coming out of the house <laughs> to like help, and I just smell like shit, and it's just like it wound up being good because I I, I blamed myself shitting in my pants on like being scared of the dog, I guess, and. <laughs> I didn't get in trouble for it, but it was a pretty pathetic time. <laughs> I figure other people can laugh at it. It still haunts me a little bit, but. I can imagine that's the kind of thing that, yeah, yeah you revisit mm. in your mind. Shit. Um, when did you, oh no, actually, let's ask about this. I, I was watching some YouTube interviews with you and there was one with a guy in, I think it was in Philadelphia. And you served him a drink called Kensington Sangria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Coca-Cola and red wine. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. can you explain, <laughs> explain the cocktail? Yeah, I, you know, I got to give credit to Brandon on this one. I, I, think he, I think he stumbled upon it from one of his friends. Uh, but, yeah, it's just you, you just get the shittiest wine, red wine you can find, and you mix it with a little Coca-Cola and throw some ice in it. And it kind of has almost like a similar taste to like that shit bottled sangria you would get. So we drink, I don't drink that shit anymore. There was like a tour where we like, we were like, oh, this is the fucking thing. This is the thing. And then like, you know, a month later, my teeth are falling out and I put on five pounds and <laughs> fucking can't, I still taste it now, even when I have good red wine. So, yeah, it's one of those things I imagine if you took it too far and you threw up as well. Oh, yeah. That would really... I fucking was throwing up a, on my way here today, man. That doesn't bother me anymore. Well, we literally... Our, last night was such a fucking mess. Uh, we were in Glasgow, and uh, I, I went across the street to the Tesco and bought a bottle of scotch, and I, I, me and Kyle pretty much drank it in an hour, you know, a full bottle. And right before we played, I was pretty banged up so afterwards we, we went out with like the opening band the guys from that band undo um glasgow band cool right. kids um and they took us around to some clubs and i literally got denied i don't know if i'm getting older and i just can't handle my shit anymore i felt fine but like we i got denied one club we went to another club the bartender wouldn't serve me at the other club <laughs> and then uh you know, we're like doing poppers with these kids and just all fucked poppers. up. Yeah, I know. That's, 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 <laughs> you know, you're in, you know, you're in fucking over here when you start seeing poppers come out. But, um, you know, I, we, me and Brandon finally separate from those guys and we're walking back and I try to get in a casino and they won't let me in the casino. I don't think you want to go in a Glasgow casino. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I was even doing anyway. I don't even remember where we were, but, uh, 
basically the security guys came out and they fucking tossed me up and threw me and like busted me up on the ground a bit and uh cops came ambulance came i was laying on the ground like telling them i wasn't gonna leave they tried to arrest me and they took me to the hospital and uh then they dis- discharged me for the hospital no trouble and i i wound up taking a cab from the hospital to the wrong hotel and then walked from that hotel all the way to our hotel i i, I got up at like 6 a.m and we left we left at nine so i slept for like three hours and as soon as i got into the van they woke me up they're like you gotta go we gotta get in the van gotta get to manchester I was like all right fuck it so i get in the van and i fucking i have a bottle of like a million different kinds of pills just in and i just like codeine and xanax and i just was literally just like just like smoking some weed and then drank a bottle of water and just passed out and woke up here just like like completely not knowing where the fuck i was or anything so fuck man i don't think i've had a night like that in my life let alone as you know one stop i have this uh tendency to these things seem to happen to me on a, a very very often when did you uh, have your... When did you start drinking? Today? No, no. Uh, like, in your life. When was your first oh, man, drink? Oh, pretty early on. Um, I think I was... Four, 13, 14. Um, you know. I was hanging out in West Philly. There was a punk venue, a real famous punk venue in West Philly called the Stalag 13, which also turned into be the kill time. It's like a real famous punk place. I was going to see punk shows and, you know, street punk shows and a lot of like DB, like crust punk stuff there when I was like 15, 16, Uh, you know, and there was a bar across the street, all black bar called the New Angle and they were just service in there. So I was fucking like 15 sitting in this bar and and fucking West Philly, just like drinking. I, I, I remember drinking, it was like OJ and vodka was first and then it was like, started puking like i had a puke night with that and then it moved to jack daniels and jack and cokes and yeah never looked back been a whiskey person since then um and you i mean the kind of night you described then is that a pretty typical for your to- i mean obviously not necessarily yeah, a hospital I mean, visit and it, it's usually not that i mean you know i i'm pretty off and on and hot and cold like mm. I, we got off that last tour in, in the u.s which was like 35 days we had about three weeks off before this started you know uh, maybe it was just about a month actually uh and i came home and i just didn't drink yeah you know like i just didn't drink for a month i, I drank one night when a, a our buddies from chain of flowers were over there touring and they they played new york the one night so i went out to see them and I got real banged up that night. But then I didn't drink. Yeah. And then, you know, I come over here and it's, it's like, okay, well, you know, most people work all week and then they drink on the weekend. And I'm in the position where when I'm working, I'm drinking. So when I get home and off, I chill out a bit, you know. Repair. Trying to, man. I'm getting older, man. It's, it's going to catch up to me soon, so. I was going to say, are you were aware of that sort of coming down the line? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. I'm pretty well aware of what I do to myself and what the repercussions are going to be. Yeah. I, you, I don't know if you want to hear this or not. I just did an interview <laughs> recently with uh, Derek from Sum 41, of all people. 
And I don't know if you've heard about him, but he... I've seen the pictures. He fucked himself up. He... Well, he, uh, yeah. he, they made a lot of money real fast, you know? Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, he... I mean, this wasn't even... You know, they came out in like 2001, something like that. But this was in 2014. And he, uh, he just like... He was hitting it hard and then regularly. And well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's just like, he made so much money and then, then like responsibility goes away, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's what it. do you do? And it's like, well, I like to drink, yeah. you know? And it, it, if you don't have anything else to do, it's, it's really easy to, to go there. And he really fucked himself up. I mean, he was... He was out for he, a week, like in a coma. He had yeah. no clue. Couldn't, he lost couldn't the Avril Lavigne, right? I think that was after that. that he looked like a little fat yeah. alien. Like he, it was so funny looking at those two pictures. Pretty sad, man. Yeah, yeah I, I, he did not have a good I definitely run. think about him. He's one of the people that I think about when, really? I, when I'm drinking. I'm just like, man, I got to go home and not drink for a few weeks just so I know that I don't turn into this fucking little fat guy from some 41. Oh. A real sad thing, man. He, you look at his pictures on Google, man. He's, yeah. Pretty sad. He's pulled it back. Yeah, he pulled it together, huh? Um, what was your first show? What was your first gig? When Play. did you cross the line? Yeah, between between going to those like crust punk shows and so on, and into actually putting on your your own stuff. What was your first uh, event? I played in a couple hardcore bands and stuff. So uh, we played in a punk. The first band we played in was a punk band called. Uh, victory strike it was kind of like oi a little bit you know right um, this the guy set up a show in in kensington actually this is before like i really ventured out of the neighborhood and started yeah. to go like downtown and stuff and it was like a small like shitty kind of you know neighborhood scene of like punk and hardcore and stuff like it's a lot of like you know square jawed kind of like tough tough neighborhood kids you yeah. know that were like hardcore kids and stuff and we played a show in this thing uh this little park under the l called uh hooker park and I, I i guess you can kind Actually of imagine why it's called hooker uh, right, park. Yeah, okay. uh just you know it fills up at hookers at nighttime and that's where john's go and scoop them up at you know not your good-looking hooker types either. Talking like no no teeth, like fucking Aunt Harriet looking, you know, <laughs> fucking <laughs> ghosts, fucked up people. Right. Anyway, we yeah. played a show there in the daytime, and uh, it's pretty funny. I think you know we we it was like the first time I met a lot of the the kids that I'll wind up like being around for a really long time when I started to enter that 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 world. So you know, it was all you know proper shit though at this point you know like we weren't doing three chords kind of fucking right you know and how did the show go like all your yeah, memories it was funny, yeah it? i mean it was cool it was like you know a bunch of little wild maniacs at their like at their youngest point you know george little georgie from blacklisted the hardcore band you know like uh Joe Hardcore, like, you know, these kind of names that you hear when you know about, like, Philly Hardcore scene and stuff, you know, guys that grew up there in the same place and then they went on to do things within, you know, good things, bad things. and But, you know, it's just funny to think back of, yeah. of that whole thing. How would you describe the atmosphere? Um, those sort of early gigs you were playing. 
exciting, man. Yeah. You know, it was exciting. I was, I, I started to realize that I had a place, like that this was going to be a place that I could start like uh, emptying some of my energy into. It's like, okay, like you got a little bit of a streak in you for, you know, getting in trouble and stuff and you know and now you're finding some other guys that are into that too it's like uh oh this is scary but exciting you know yeah and what i was gonna say what drew you to it but i guess maybe that kind of streak yeah, in you sure. is, is exactly doing it. did you see it as like an outlet for like anger at the time or was oh it- yeah there, there was there was hidden anger flowing through me since the beginning you know uh, you know, the same thing. Watching your watching your mom cry in the kitchen, you know, uh not seeing your dad around, you know, uh not having money for lunch at school or having shitty clothes, you know. I was I was angry at the world, you know. Being a punk kid, you know, and, and going to you know you know what having your mom like spending trying to put you in a better school because she knows you're fucking up and then going to the better school and you know getting beat up by like jock guys and shit like that you know it just all just builds 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 and then eventually you know you you know pressure breaks pipes Mm -hmm. and and, uh, that's what happened and I just kind of I decided that I wasn't going to get let the world push me around anymore and I was going to fight it and you know didn't quite work out either (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean at this point in the conversation it's where we traditionally go to talk about your time in prison (laughs) yeah right um is that how you see it now like you see it as something built up that was what was the result of you you not wanting to be pushed around anymore I mean, yeah, it's 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 just like the age-old story, you know. Like, it, you you can't press something so long before it, you know, it 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 presses you back. And yeah, I'm not making excuses or thinking blaming anybody for anything that I've done in any way. But I'm, it's it's definitely a cause and you know reactionary thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I, they pushed me to a point where I I I believed that I probably lost my mind a bit and I decided that like you know that I wasn't going to be that I was I was I was not going to have a stop button basically that that uh you know I I was going to press on that I no one's going to go further than you exactly were. yeah yeah and that's kind of what happened exactly and I mean you you said before you know about being incarcerated you stopped being angry at the world and you started being defeated yeah uh, was is that because of prison do you think is it prison that did that to you or is it no that made you made that decision that was a a step that was a rung in the ladder of getting to that point um mm. i think the final straws for me to get to a point where i was like i just stopped feeling things as much was when I came home from prison and I, you know, I dealt with my two really best friends dying like six months, I mean like a year away from each other. Yeah. It was just like 
pound, 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 like on my head constantly, just like thing after thing after thing. And finally, I mean, you get used to it. I mean, it's yeah. just what, it's what we do as, as humans. Like, you can get used to anything. You know what I mean? It, you literally can get used to anything. You know, if someone's hammering nails into your body, you know what I mean? Like, mm. daily you're gonna get used to it you know what i mean like anything so i mean uh you know i just stopped that dealing with that and then you know also like having these new ideas and these new philosophies about what everything meant to me and what the whole situation was with with the world and everything i i the two things combined just kind of made me numb to everything how how I think what fascinates me is uh, kind of morbidly, I guess, is how you go, how you make something out of that, how you start to actually create anything in that situation mm -hmm. when you're just feeling numb to everything at that point. Yeah, well, you're constantly, you know, you're constantly um, wrestling with yourself mm. about, you know, the everything you know the use the uselessness of everything you know it's yeah. it's a constant battle for me because i'm constantly knowing that any none of this it is use it's it's all useless to me like the, it there really isn't any point of anything doing anything waking up doing anything but you know like i it's in my dna to move forward you know and and yeah. uh the only way i find peace is to create things so uh, especially when I started to find that I had a pedestal to like really like voice like what I thought about this world and everything and that there was people there that like did care yeah it became more attractive to me and um, yeah I ran with it you know I, I, I liked it when I played in horror show I liked singing sad songs and then it kind of went from singing sad songs to kind of a different type of sad to me, which was like a, a overall kind of, you know, when I was playing a horror show, it was like I was singing about love and and how like it missed me, mm -hmm. and and uh, nothing has been more of uh, love would be the last of my worries at this point. <laughs> it's it's the universe that has missed me at this point and. Uh, it's a little dark, but I, I feel like a lot of people don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about half the time. Anyway, if it's just fine, because I don't know. I think the way with, with nothing, it's it's there's the lyrics, obviously, but then there's the musical side, and that's mm -hmm. just correct connects so viscerous, viscerally and directly. Mm -hmm. I think that I don't know. Everyone gets something from it. It seems to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we definitely have the sad the sad club. Following us around. <laughs> I think people just are always going to make it their own, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows that. Not, I mean, not a lot of people really know how deep that, that how, how grim and bleak I'm really going in with it, but that's fine. And nobody needs to go down that road. That's kind of the songwriter's uh, privilege, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to be preaching this to anybody. You know, like the 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 things that I think and are, it's it doesn't need to be talked about for sure. I don't think. 
you know it's it's kind of an unnecessary thought <laughs> right yeah but I, unlucky for me i just I'm, I'm like infatuated with it it keeps me up at night you know and uh what was the what was the first sort of nothing song or idea what was the first time you felt like oh sh- happy about what nothing was becoming or positive about what it was becoming um i mean and were you worried about letting yourself feel that way as well oh man i i can i still still struggle with that too you know like whether i'm coming across the way that i want to come across and mm. whether i'm putting too much of myself out there or if i feel like i'm missing the point of what i'm trying to get across by just doing anything in general like i said uh there's a lot of that, but I mean, I, I'm always very proud and I put a lot of myself into everything that we do with this band. So it, it, it all means a lot to me. So like there hasn't been anything that's been like, uh, you know, much higher than the next. It's, you know, I, I, the, the demo, just releasing the demo, which seems like not that long ago was, was a huge deal for me. I was coming out of this like awful like slump of just like this horrible depression and so close to just quit like literally I know it's cliche to say but I was I was really I was on my way out for sure one way or the other um and you know putting the putting the demo together really did something for me it uh it changed things uh changed everything you know it was like okay you know this this feels good for for once in a, in this period yeah. of time where like there I couldn't find anything that made me feel good besides like things that were really hurting me you know so this was new to me and I became addicted to it <laughs> like everything it's like oh wow this 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 helps okay you do know. it again yeah yeah what I almost kind of feel like what possessed you to do that at that point because you just you you had so many like setbacks. What I'm trying to say really is like I'm just surprised you almost had the guts at that point to do it because it just feels like everything you've done gets taken away. But that that's been like the most positive thing you've done. What what actually gave you the impetus to actually the courage to go for that? I mean, it was a pure desperation move at that point. Right. Uh, I had a friend that wanted to play music when he was all coked up and you know he would he would get all coked up and be like well we're gonna write music we're gonna start you know and all this shit and you know a lot of it was just drug talk all the time drug talk drug talk drug talk all the time every day and uh I I could pinpoint the exact moment I I remember I I just had this long two-day thing it was a it was like a i worked like friday and saturday and after after work friday i started drinking after work you know bar closed started drinking next thing you know i end up at the, at, the, at like this house everybody's partying stay out I'm out till like 11 o'clock in the morning the next day i have work at four I start drinking, you know, I keep drinking pretty much to get to work. I do the whole shift at work from 4 to 2 a.m. again, just like doing blow and then make it all the way to the end of Saturday night and do the same thing again and stay up all night again. And then, 
you know, I roll in Saturday or Sunday, I'm still up Sunday and uh, make it to like seven o'clock Sunday and finally crash. I wake up at Monday at like 7 p.m. Like I slept for like 24 hours and I was just like, I remember I was literally just like, I got up that day and I was kind of like pretty convinced that I wasn't going to do this anymore. Mm. Like I, you know, I was just, I had it. I had it completely. I don't know what it, what forced it that day, but you know, probably obviously a lot of these drugs are just causing a, to, to the depression to be, you know, deepened. Uh, and I just started playing songs and started writing songs. I went up staying in the house for like four days, five days, just like didn't leave and just, you know, wrote some music and played it. No, no purpose, you know. And then I had them recorded on the computer, just like rough demos. And again, the drinking starts, you know, and people listen to them. They like them. They, I somehow got convinced to like, someone's like, yeah, these are really good. You know, you should, you should record them with an actual, in a per with a person and actually yeah. record them, not just like use your internal mic on your guitar. So, I mean, on your computer. <laughs> so I did. And you know the the tape we we got the tape and i put it out and people liked it which was surprising uh it kind of piggybacked a lot off of like the hardcore stuff people were like oh nikki's mm -hmm. doing some music again that's that's pretty cool it's different so people were into it and uh, brandon stumbled upon it uh you know he was in philly at the time and we i needed a guitarist and i also needed some help doing what i was doing and he was the perfect match, and then uh, that's all she wrote. And now oh, we're here, we are. and we are. Um, you've also told me, I mean, so that, that was the EP, and since then there's been the first album, which is Guilty of Everything, and the second album, which is Tired of Tomorrow. Um, last time you, we spoke, you told me that was also driven by tragedy. I mean, uh, and, and uh, if we listen, to, you know, just talking about everything we've been talking about, do you not get exhausted by that feeling? By like that, in some ways, it seems like it's a, a useful way to help you kind of make sense of things. But I mean, it's definitely it's definitely that, and it, it it is it is utterly exhausting. I mean, but it's just at this point, it's what I know, you know, and and I've crossed this this line that you know was not to be crossed and and that's it and now it's just a, it's 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 what i deal with you know i would love to be writing songs about you know hanging out with girls or partying or doing anything like that you know but it doesn't it doesn't fit the bill so i'd, I'd much rather make everyone Misery loves company, right? That's what they say. <laughs> um, do you not get some kind of um, closure out of it, though? You know, what, what's the word? Uh, the catharsis. You know, people talk about when in those sorts of situations. Is that not something you experience? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily use the word closure. Um, contentment. Mm. Definitely content a lot of the time now which is I'll take, take that. that I'll take yeah. I'll take that you know um, content content is definitely a better word um, 
you know, uh, you know, having a release and having something come out and seeing it thrive and, you know, having people, having people, it, it affect them is, is, is rewarding, you know, mm -hmm. as, as much as, uh, you know, I'd like to sit here and say, I don't care. Uh, you know, I do it for me. It's, it's, yeah, I do it. I, I do it. And knowing it with, the, with the hopes of it, you know, being successful and, and it affects people, you yeah. know, I also like it cause it makes some money sometimes and don't have to go to fucking work again for a minute. Well, not yet. I'm sure I will sooner or later. It's fucking bullshit when people say they don't do they do things just for themselves oh, yeah. and then play get oh, on yeah. a stage or put a record out or You know, man, I struggle with this this music industry so much. I mean, I struggle with every everywhere I go. I'm gonna start problems wherever I go. But I mean, this I, I find myself being in this this world of, you know, artists, um, and fuck, man, like every there's it's so it's cliche, but it's so fucking phony. Like every, there's like just filled with awful phony fucking people. Like yeah, you know, find <laughs> there's there's truly no friends in this this industry. Um, you know, I, I hate everybody in this shit. I honestly do. I don't like anybody, and it, and it and it shows. And people don't like me too for it. You know, and you know, every, every band I speak to tells me that you know they mean their music. It comes from the heart. You know, do you find yourself encountering those people? Uh, there's a, there's an album that comes to mind by a UK band called McCluskey, mm -hmm. who have a record titled uh, "My Pain and Sadness Is More Sad and Painful Than Yours," <laughs> and that's just thinking. It's hilarious. <laughs> they're really, they're funny, really good band. Um, but do you ever find yourself encountering other people in the industry and just thinking, uh, questioning that? You oh know, yeah, like I mean, questioning you, you don't have to look. You don't have to look far to like see this this stupid shit that people are putting across, and 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 the stupid shit that is selling to these people. You know, like you have bands like Death Heaven that come out and be like fucking guys wearing gloves and button-ups and they're just playing like you know running with this like fucking stupid like black metal fucking like calling themselves like you know like categorizing themselves and and it's just it's fucking it's so stupid to me man like it, it and it doesn't stop there like you can you can look anywhere with this shit you know it's yeah. like Everywhere you go, people taking themselves way too fucking seriously, trying to sell this, like, fucking mysterious persona, which is always fucking phony. Like, these guys are st going to fucking coffee shops in, L in L.A., having ice fucking co ice coffees, and, and then, you know, going back and living with their girlfriends and yeah you know have a dog and a cat like fuck you like you're 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 who are you trying to be on stage like yeah. you're not you're 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 not like there's there's no david bowie's left there's no prince's left you know yeah. no genuine mystery it's and there's a couple people out there that are like you can tell like you know i you know i really love like like dev hines and like blood orange like you see him and he's just this brilliant fucking musician who who, who has this swagger to him that's just like you I, I look at it and I'm like man this this guy is is the real deal yeah. like you can just tell he, he he 
just got this perfect, perfect thing with him, you know? And there's some people like that, you know? And, and everyone else is just trying too hard. And that's why I don't try to do that shit with this thing. I'm, yeah. Anybody who talks to me, they tell me I'm very fucking forward. And, I'm, and it, you know, it, that's why people, you know, the people that do, don't hate me like me, you know? It's, it, yeah, because one way or the other. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. It, it I might, just think that it just would be nicer to see people actually try to be more of themselves, you know? You know. I, I, I don't know if it's been your experience but the artists I really like and respect the most tend to be the ones with the least artifice mm-hmm. if you know what I mean it's just like if you write if you write good songs and you're, you present your honest self in those songs then that's the connection that's what people are after from their music I think and it's yeah. it's when they present it and they dress it up and it, you know you're talking about mystery really brought it home to me there you know yeah if they're mysterious it's because they're dull as fuck like yeah. there's, there's nothing going on there's underneath. nothing there yeah it's, you know you know who's mysterious and like the ones that were actually mysterious are because you know they have this 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 side that doesn't really want to be around people and doesn't want to explain themselves mm-hmm. you know that you can see the, the difference between them and the guys that are playing uh, trying to turn it into that you yeah. know like you fucking have it watch Kurt Cobain interviews he's he's doesn't want to be talking ever you know what I mean like and 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 there's shit going on in his head and you could tell just by what he's producing and how he acts when he's got a camera yeah. in front of his face you can tell this kind of thing you know it doesn't take a fucking uh, a, you know a psych or anything like that to see and and, and just oversaturated the music industry is just oversaturated with people trying to sell this fucking thing and it fucking grosses me out i fucking hate it <laughs> so that's something you hate what's the i often ask people at the end of these um what was the last time that you felt like genuinely unequivocally happy and i think in your case given the interviews i read with you <laughs> probably more more pertinent than ever <laughs> usually when i got a couple of these in me But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, man, I'm not sitting here. I appreciate your honesty. I don't want you to feel like what you've said. No, it's the same same token. I sit here and, you know, a lot of this shit gets brought across the table. Like Mm. this tragedy tragedy upon tragedy. It's like, oh, let's go into jail. I got to hear these people fucking say, oh, cool, just talk about jail some more. Like, that's, that's that's what you're, this is, this... That's your thing. You, you, you're the, the jail guy. Cool. It's like I thought about that actually before I spoke to you. I was like, maybe we just don't talk about it. Was something. No, I, I mean thought. that's because, not what I'm saying at all. No, but but it's it, 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 I'm speaking from other people. That, it's from something the no one else can possibly really understand. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, and and, it, and nobody and there's no, it gets fetishized. I think. Yeah. The, the, anybody who pays attention and reads any of my interviews. Yeah. That most likely couldn't walk a fucking day in my shoes and I'm not saying that because I'm fucking there it's just I know who's paying attention people who don't know who the fuck I am can do it in a fucking second you know but anyone who's paying attention listening they just can't they couldn't you know what I mean and that's fine but you know it, it, it is annoying to hear you know like hear people say things like you know because I, I don't want to come across as this person it's like that's that's what the you know the the 
that's what you're getting with me because I'm not like I don't sit in the house and fucking cry. I mean, I every I get as depressed as much normal people, but like you know, I I enjoy being in my house. I used to like going out. I don't like going out anymore. So, what are the misconceptions about you? What what are the things you're fed up of correcting or? Don't even bother trying. I don't even bother trying with that. Like anybody who questions me, I don't fucking care about anyway. You know what I mean? Like anybody who knows me knows me well enough to know that, you know, that's you get what you see. Yeah. You know, and anybody else could, you know, that has any kind of doubts can fucking suck my dick, for for better words. I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't pay people like, I, I try to, I try my hardest, even though I get angry sometimes, I try not to think about other people as much as I do. And it's, it's a work in progress, but yeah, fuck them. So what, let's finish here. What do you want, what do you want people to take away? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I just want people to take it how they how they see it, and that's it. You know, I'm not one. I'm not one for exp, you know. I I, I really don't. I, I hate getting into like trying to explain too many things right. with this stuff because uh, you know, like I said, it's all perception anyway. And most of the time, I don't want to drop these fucking bombs on it. You got fucking kids listening to this band now for some reason that are like fucking 13 years old I had a kid come in with her show and tweeting at me that was his fucking uh, an 8th grader kid you know what I mean Yeah. 8th fucking grade and he, his dad drives him to the show and I'm, a, I'm like his, I'm like his fucking dad's age and the, the kid's like he's kind of just like sitting in his car and I'm just like fuck man like you know I don't I don't I, I I, I don't want to inspire thoughts into kids like that. It's that's, that's like the one point in your life where you, you you shouldn't have to deal with anything from life, you know. S- to 15. One to 15, everything should be good. You get a pass. You get a pass to 15. And then after 15, like, what? fuck off. Like, <laughs> here it is. Welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, the, the, I, the one thing I really can't fucking stand to see any kind of kids suffering in any way it's just not fair so that's it so don't listen to your music before 15 or just think it means or just think it means something else (laughs) yeah curse Um, curse of the sun isn't about uh isn't about how the sun's responsible for all the pain and misery because it created life. It's about sun getting too much sun when you're at the beach partying. <laughs> it's like, this sunburn sucks. That's what that song is about. Wear sunscreen. Sunscreen, kids. Nikki, uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I'm not sure if you have or not, but it's. I really appreciate your honesty. I think it's been a really good conversation. So it thanks was. for your time. Thank you very much for the in-depth well thought out questions uh, media people should take notice and <laughs> do your fucking homework and stop asking the same fucking questions as the next person because I'm going to start snapping on you okay that was Nikki from nothing uh, what can I say about that that 
was an incredible interview with an incredible individual who's making some incredible music. So go check out his band, go check out Nothing, listen to Tired of Tomorrow, listen to Guilty of Everything, go see them live, buy their merch. Uh, They are just quite simply one of my favourite bands uh, doing the rounds at the moment. So get on that. I also want to thank uh, you guys for listening. I want to thank Alpha Male Tea Party for supplying this background music. This is their track, You Am I The Rock. Also love that band. And uh, I'll be back in two weeks with a new interview. I'll talk to you then. Okay, bye-bye. (laughs) 